This is Kai Stewart, reading bedtime stories for nobody. Begins now, and the cheering and the clapping and the laughter and the introductions and the exhortations are brushed away, and we are all just people, no longer activists, no longer clamoring, just all 100,000 of us standing around each other. And I can hear myself breathe, I can feel the gloved hand I'm holding. I can hear a foot shift on a patch of slush, just one. I can hear all of us being one alone person each, together. And I notice that I'm leaning a little on the hand I'm holding in my left, and I don't have to. I can hold her up. I can make my strength her strength, and so I do. I straighten slightly and lighten her burden, and I feel her rise with me. And now, no matter how implausible, I'm sitting at a sturdy wooden table with a checked plastic tablecloth in a room populated by too few people to be a public event and too many strangers to be a gathering of my friends, and here I am, here I am, here, my entire body and choices, and history, and desires. Here I am, whether or not it does any good. There was an ad for a unit in my building, and I looked, not because I wanted to move, not because I felt hemmed in in my current situation, but because I like to imagine living in other places, waking up under other roofs, knowing my way in the dark through hallways I haven't seen yet. And it looked nice enough. Broad, open floor plan. Two lofts, but no bedroom. Good for a single person, or a couple who share everything, but bad for anyone who needs privacy. Big slanting windows under the slanting roof, and a kitchen sunk under one of the lofts, ducking its head in the presence of a flashy friend. But it was two small windows, short, wide rectangles set side by side in an interior wall, painted over, and no wonder what was there to see. It was those windows that tipped me. I saw them glowing purple under an ultraviolet light, a painting of a pentacle between them. A low bookshelf with a turntable and an altar draped in black, and then the floor plan revolved, and the kitchen set itself between the stairs and the bathroom, and I knew why they were advertising the room. Blame them, I guess. I guess they couldn't just leave it vacant. But that room, newly painted, the hat bragged, all the love washed over, blank white walls. What happened to all their art? Did someone come for it? That room, with sunlight streaming through its naked windows, lighting up the empty lofts, that room was so ugly to me. You can't look at the corner where the sash meets the sill. You can look at the sash itself, all the way up and down. It's some kind of braided polymer. Acrylic, maybe, gently beige, as if it had been dipped in tea. Halfway up, you notice a little dust, 
just a few motes clinging between the strands of the weave, broad, almost feathery. Up a little higher, you notice a few more, making the tea plastic look moonlit. And near the top, there's a big clump, downy silver, as joyous as a new chick. You feel your face go hot. You make yourself swear that you'll dust everything before next Thursday. Mom will say you've let it go too long, and you have. You always let it go too long, but it's not too late yet. You let your eyes drift down to the plastic weight on the end of the sash. It's a flatter beige than the sash itself. The word yellowed comes to you. A tall, fluted trapezoid with one dashing oblong spatter of white paint. Two opposite sides are incised with progressive vertical lines, like a tiny skyscraper or a tycoon's profit projections. And it's little touches like that you fell for when you first saw this place. Those symptoms of this building's past pride. Despite the leaky taps and unreliable heat. And now. And now. You let your gaze skip up across the window. You think the rectilinear molding at the corner of the frame must have been bare wood once or painted sienna or umber, a color belonging to a king of earth. And when mom comes, you let her have your room as usual. Usually sleeping on the couch for those few nights has a little of the gentle excitement of roughing it, like camping in the backyard. You know you won't sleep this time. You can see yourself lying on the couch, wrapped in a blanket, your feet towards the window. Your gaze following the molding that was once umber, tracing the length of the sash cord backlit by the streetlight. You can see yourself living in this apartment for years, adding pictures to the walls, mementos to the shelves, but only to the right side of the window, never on the left. You can see yourself folding space like a Madeleine Lengel heroine, so you can walk directly from the right side of the window to the kitchen, without crossing the intervening space. And if you can do that, what else can you hide? What else can you push outside the known world? A list spills out in front of you, and as it grows, the known world lightens. Colors fade. Miles compact themselves. Sharp things become softer, and rough things lose their focus. Your limbs feel weightless, like walking after a long swim. The floor doesn't hold you as tightly as you expect, and small movements do too much. Far-off places become unmoored and drift away, and things you never got around to doing diffuse into the air. The list, however, gets heavier and heavier, until finally it's too heavy to hold and you put the list itself on the list. You watch it fold itself smaller and smaller, but before it becomes too small to see, you pinch it between two nerveless fingers. Your apartment is pale and featureless. Vague impressions of furniture drift against the walls, and the window is a gentle brightening. Your muscles barely answer as if they've fallen asleep. Everything is soft. 
You wrap your hands around the list and pull slowly and methodically with all of your attention. Something's missing from the sky today. I wish I remembered what used to be there. It's really bugging me. Do you know that feeling of looking at a space and knowing that something used to be there? Like when a billboard changes and you can't remember what it used to say, or when a page has been torn out of a book you read over and over as a child. You can almost remember, but not quite. It's just a patch of sky. It's not even very big. I can cover it with my thumb. It's not the sun, it's not the moon, I'm sure of that much. Those are still in the pocket of my warm coat on the rack by the front door. It's not the Pleiades, or Sirius, or Orion's Belt, or Ursa Major, and those are all the constellations I know, and Sirius. I'm fairly sure that I saw Mars and Venus in the kitchen cabinet next to the spice rack last Thursday, so it's probably not them. And anyway, I feel like it was, I don't know, bluer than that. Spikier. I almost wonder if I missed that spot when I was spreading the dark matter, but I'm not sure how I'd be able to tell. Anyway, I did that ages ago. It seems like I'd be used to any gaps by now. I almost think it was a planet. How many are there? Are there any missing? There's Mercury, Venus, and Mars are accounted for. There's Earth, obviously. It would be hard to lose Earth. There's Jupiter, there's Juno, Gaia, Uranus, Niobe, Chaucer, Mandelbrot, Saturn. They're all there, right? What's the mnemonic? My very educated mother just juggled gloves, underwear, neckties, coats, and mittens, so I've... Ionis. Nope. And... For... Oh, could it have been Nyx? What did Nyx look like? Was it kind of blue and spiky and about the size of my thumb at the furthest extension of my arm? I think so, right? Nyx, the spiky planet. That sounds right. I think the BBC did a beautiful documentary about it with footage from the last Galileo probes. <laughs> 